From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 185, and I'm doing my final of my Bergman series, my five-part Bergman series. So I'm sitting down to watch the closing night selection, which is Fanny and Alexander. But it's not just Fanny and Alexander. It's the television version, the five or six episodes that are in it, uh, as well as the theatrical version. And there's also uh, a giant making of, which I'll probably dive into uh, I owned this uh, set that Criterion put out on DVD before I had this giant box set. So I've watched the film, but I don't think I ever watched the TV series, or at least I don't have a memory of it. And either way, it was at least, God, it's got to be close to 10 years or more since I watched it. So I'm very curious to, to, to revisit it. And I remember liking the movie quite a bit, and I know it's held up as... It was his kind of final masterpiece in a way, even though he, he did work after after this film. So I'm excited to dive in. I put it off for a while, I'm not going to lie, because it is such a beast. It is, uh, you know, between the, the TV series and the film and the making of, it's probably close to 10 hours worth of viewing. Which uh, and, and for me, who wants to really consume something like this and get the most out of the one single story... I want to try to do it all at once, so I've had to wait for a time period where I can kind of sit down and and just kind of take it all in. So here I am. So uh, I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I might either jump in after the first episode or wait and just do the TV series as a whole. You're going to find out in seconds, but I'm going to kind of figure this format out for this particular episode as I go. So stick around and I'll be right back to uh, discuss Fanny and Alexander. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So I ended up deciding to watch all these episodes, not back to back, but I watched them all in a day. Uh, And I think I might have time later tonight to watch the film too, which is kind of my preferred way to do this, but I digress. So I might talk about this in a few spurts. I, I have to run an errand, so I'm going to uh, and get through my first diatribe of thoughts, and then maybe I'll come back with some more collected thoughts, because it's a lot. It's like five and a half hours worth of content. Um, yeah, I definitely never watched the TV version, and I remember little snippets here and there. And I think what's interesting in the film version, and I'll confirm that after I watch it, is that I think they really play a lot more fast and loose with Alexander's fantasy sequences. Um, What's really interesting here is that I feel like Bergman is definitely, this is one of his more narrative stories in terms of plot. 
uh, and it's really got a really, really strong narrative force uh, after the first episode, because the first episode is just all about character setup uh, and, and getting to know the intricate relationships of these characters and who they are over the course of Christmas Eve and in uh, this big giant family, the Ecklands, I believe is is how you say their last name. Uh, it's three brothers: Oscar, Carl, and Gustav. Gustav, probably. Uh, and Emily is uh, Oscar's wife, and their children are Fanny and Alexander. I have no idea why Fanny's name is in this title. The film is more or less uh, about Alexander and his experiences, and Fanny's just kind of there. So it kind of sucks that she's not more part of it, given that. You know, her name is in the title. That's unfortunate for her, and probably a bit of an oversight. Shame on you, Bergman. It's interesting that he had planned for his last like major work, and I know he did work after this, but this was at the, at the time planned to be his last one, that he chose to tell the story, or a story from the point of view of a child, or mostly from a child, just given um, how, how strong his stories about adults are. And particularly how much he liked to focus on female characters. So it's interesting that he, he's chosen that for his last... What he thinks is going to be his last major work. I really like the core cast of characters. I like how complex they are. Um, you know, what's really interesting about this first episode is, with the exception of Oscar and really his family, you really run through the gamut of all these these brothers and their wives and mistresses and whatnot throughout the course of this Christmas Eve evening where it goes from, like all the highs and lows are explored you get to see them all dancing and singing and eating and drinking and having a good time then they're all fighting with just like in separate private rooms uh, and you really run the gamut of how you feel for all these guys I mean watching this whole thing you, you get a sense that something's going to happen to Oscar but all these guys look like they're going to have heart attacks from this stuff they're doing Gustav is like the most fun because he's just this big goofball. Uh, Carl is a giant asshole, especially there's this great, great scene with him and his wife where he says terrible things to her and then he cries and he's upset with himself for doing it and then she consoles him and then he gets even madder at her for consoling him when he's such a shithead. What a toxic marriage that is uh, and fascinating one really at that. So I really like that, and, and even Gustav, who is in a, a really open marriage, it seems, with his wife, Alma, and uh, and their maid-slash-mistress, Madge. Very progressive, so, you know, good for them. But, uh, you know, he convinces Madge to sleep with him, promising that he's going to uh, get, uh, get her a cafe, which he, he keeps on wanting to do throughout, so he's good on that. But the moment they sleep together, he is kind of shitty to her and dismissive of her. But, uh, I mean, that's not surprising. You kind of know that's exactly where it's going to go. So it's not really until the second episode that the story starts to really kick in. It starts to become Alexander's story here. And, you know, we get this really lovely metaphor of Hamlet as the play his father is taking part in, even being really literal and having... uh, Oscar play the ghost in the play itself. It's a bit on the nose, but sure. So Oscar dies, you know, which is 
pretty much telegraphed through his pretty shitty health. And throughout this episode, we get to see the creepy bishop starting, starting to mac on, on Emily. Fun fact, Max Seedal, Max Von Seedal, I should say, was originally cast to play Edward. I'm not sure what happened. Maybe they'll get into it into the making of. I'm really sad that that didn't work out. Don't get me wrong. The actor playing uh, Edward is suitably amazing and creepy and mean, but Seedal would have been next level. He doesn't usually... I mean, he usually plays the hero in Bergman films, so it would have been really cool to see him in an entirely different light, a different role. So Emily decides to marry Edward for reasons that aren't entirely clear. It's not like he need, she needs him to take care of her. It looks like the family she's coming from is pretty well off. She says that she's been alone for so long, but it doesn't feel like that much time has passed. It's kind of unclear, and the kids look the exact same age. Anyway... Edward insists that she and the kids come to him to his house without any possessions. So she leaves the theater and off they go. And just like we expect, it sucks for these kids. The kids are treated horribly and it's not long before Emily herself is looking for ways to get the hell out of the marriage. So the real highlight during this section where the kids uh, and Emily... I think I'm saying her name right. It's basically, it's, it's, spelled, it's not quite spelled the way I would spell my wife's name, Emily, but it's, uh, it's close. I'm going to say it's Emily. Uh, the real highlight during this section is Alexander and how he's constantly messing with Edward through his, his clever wordplay. Like, he says stuff like, you know, he comes in to say goodnight to Alexander, and Alexander won't say it back. He's like, why won't you say it back? And he's like, because Alexander doesn't wish the bishop goodnight. Uh, you know, he's just like, because, because to hell with you, that's why, is what Alexander is basically saying. It's really great. And he even, even the bishop says at one point that Alexander scares him, um, because he's just so steadfast in, in his thinking. Uh, and, and even, and Alexander is even making, like, Fanny, his sister, pray with him that Edward will die. You know, he he is steadfast in hating this evil, evil, shitty person. It's great. I will say, you know, Bergman does his job properly. You hate this guy. You hate his mother. You hate his sister. There's a creepy, sickly aunt living in the attic or something, or some building room that's off to the side, who seems just like a weird detail until she becomes very important to the end game. Um... I like that Alexander has this fascination with, with death and fantasy and is trying to figure out where things land. You know, he makes up this creepy, awesome story about how Edward's wife and kids died by trying to escape from him and they drowned in the river. And then he's later visited by the ghosts of the kids themselves who clear up how they actually died. And they seem to like their father. Apparently they, they really died uh, skating on a pond um, because he got some skates. So he didn't seem like that bad of a guy at one point in his life. I like the concept that Alexander can see spirits, especially his father. I mean, we're, again, we're leaning into the Hamlet stuff here. Uh, but it gets confused when we have that scene with the grandmother who can also see Oscar, especially because he looks exactly like the version of Oscar that Alexander sees. So it makes it feel like this ghostly apparition is actually appearing to people. Uh, as opposed to just be a figment of one of their imaginations. And maybe he is. The movie doesn't really make it clear about that. 
the back half of the story really kicks into gear with this cat and mouse chess matches going on. Once Amelia lets it be known uh, to her husband's old family that she's unhappy, they go out of their way to really try and free her and the children. Uh, the question I kept on having during this sequence was like, where are her biological family? It's really awesome that her her widow's uh, family is all over taking care of her and helping her out at this point, but where the hell are her parents or siblings? If, if they mentioned that in the movie, I totally missed that. I love the whole sequence of Uncle Isaac abducting the kids and the subsequent scene where Carl and Gustav come and lean on Edward to grant Emily the divorce. The back and forth of that scene between all the parties involved is probably my favorite scene in this entire series. It's intense and lively and thought-provoking, and it's just goddamn exciting. It's top-notch acting. It's just these two groups of people fucking with each other. And the ending of it is really wonderfully shocking when Emily comes in and tells them that she's happy to return the kids and and I, I'm not entirely sure what her plan is after that. Uh, and then the film gets confusing. Alexander hangs out with his cousin. I think it's his cousin who then introduces him to this person who appears to be locked up in their house named Ishmael, who explains some kind of dream that essentially predicts how Edward will die from his, his creepy sister dying and knocking over a lamp and setting him on fire uh, while he's under a sedative. And then it pretty much wraps it all up. We find out that, that actually happens and isn't just something that's being described to us. Uh, it's confusing, I will say, because at first I thought it was just something that he was dreaming and didn't realize it was actually happening. And then they all go back to living uh, with Oscar's family, uh, although she has Edward's child. And, uh, and Madge has had an illegitimate child of Gustav's, which everyone in the family doesn't even blink at. It's uh, it's a very progressive open marriage where everyone knows that Gustav and Madge have this thing going on and everyone's very supportive of it. Good for them. For people going through the Bergman box set uh, in order and, and waiting for this to the end, you're in for a real treat. Uh, it's a really great way to end the marathon that is this giant box set of films. The entire series is captivating and fascinating and filled to the brim with excitement, performances, and beautiful imagery, and a story that's really, really engaging. Uh, it's five and a half hours. And I didn't watch it all in one sitting. I watched it off and on throughout the day, but I really, really dug it. Uh, so now I am literally going to turn on the three-hour feature film version. I don't know if I'll finish the entire thing tonight. If not, I'll finish it at breakfast in the morning. Uh, so that means they've cut the movie almost in half from the, the series. And the series clocks in around five and a half hours. So they've cut almost half of the material. I got a good idea of some of the stuff they'll definitely trim, and I'm curious to see if I'm right and kind of how they refocus this material. I imagine they're going to lean heavier on the Edward stuff and, and tighten up the beginning quite a bit. So stay tuned. I'll be right back to talk about that. So I just finished the theatrical version of Fanny, not the theatrical, yeah, the theatrical version of Fanny and Alexander. And uh, full disclosure, I did not finish it all in one day. I uh, I was pretty tuckered out <laughs> in the evening, uh, and it's a lot of it's a lot of Swedish 
storytelling to watch, so I decided I wanted to, to watch it fresh. I watched about half of it last night and then the rest of it this morning. And it was great watching it in such a short succession regardless, because it really made me realize the nuances that are missing from this version. I mean, it's still three hours long, but here's the thing. At three hours, it clips along. You know, there's there's not a, a, a beat in there that's superfluous. Uh, it, it's, you know, not the fastest moving movie in the world by any means. But in terms of character and story and beats, it's moving along. It chugs, chugs right along. And I will say, probably the stuff that stood out to me the most when I watched the, the television version is because I hadn't seen it when I watched this originally like a decade ago or whenever I, I got the box set originally. And uh, it's the scenes that I think make the difference. So... Let's go through it and, and, and see what's missing from here. It still takes time setting up the characters at the beginning, which is good. We're missing uh, two big scenes that were some of my favorite scenes from the television version in that first episode, which was the story that Oscar tells of this chair that's like 4,000 years old and, and the most valuable chair in the world he tells to the kids. And what that does is it's the one kind of scene you really get to see him interacting with the children and what made him so great and such a great father and so and such so different from the bishop that we'll meet later and so losing that scene i think really cuts a heart out of the movie that shows you a connection these kids have to their dad cuz there isn't any other scenes that really show a relationship between them that i can think of um we're also missing the the, the scene between Carl and his wife Lydia Generally speaking, Carl is neutered in this version of the film. He barely exists as a character, which is kind of a shame. Uh, that's such a powerful scene. I love that scene with him and his wife where he's so terrible to her and then vulnerable and then terrible again. It's such a nuanced and amazing scene. And it just shows one of the strengths of Bergman where he doesn't feel the need to make these characters well-liked. You know, He makes them very human and very flawed. We're missing stuff in the theater where basically Oscar's just wearing himself out more. Um, I was thinking more about the title and I was complaining that it's called Franny and Alexander given how little Franny is really part of the story. And I guess what I'm thinking of now and the reason why the title does work is because it's more about the idea of these two... It's more about saving these kids or about the circumstances around these kids. And so so that works just fine, I guess. I mean, I still would say I'd love more of Franny and for her to have more to do. Um, that scene, I don't think I mentioned it in the... Uh, there's, there's three beats that come along that are also in the other version, obviously, uh, that are so either funny or powerful in different ways. And, and the first is that Emily screaming in pain from losing her husband, Oscar. There's this probably the most powerful image and moment of the film in a film full of powerful moments is the the image of the kids watching their mother scream over the body of their dead father through the slit in the doorway and they're just watching her pace back and forth screaming and they're just standing there in silence and it's so incredibly powerful and and amazing um and then we cut to the funeral and there's this great moment where they're walking along, Franny and Alexander, and Alexander just starts saying like terrible, terrible swear words just to amuse his sister and gets a smile out of her. So, so amazing. Uh, what else are we, we losing here? Oh, there's this, oh my God, one of my favorite moments. So the other thing that happens really quickly here, uh, sorry, I'm all over the place, 
is the uh, the marriage of uh, of the bishop that that comes. If it, came, it felt like it came out of nowhere and time passed quickly in the the television version, it's even more fast here. It feels like that just all of a sudden there's a funeral and the next scene is their mom saying, I'm getting remarried. And what's nice about that, I guess, in this film version is that it probably feels as shocking as it did to the kids. Even if it was a year later or six months later, it probably felt too fast no matter what. So to give us that as a viewer, I think that works uh, to give us that shock and that feeling of what are you doing? How could you possibly be moving on this quickly? I love the moment uh, at the at the end of the wedding where Alexander just walks over to the table full of food, just collapses on it, just from sheer ugh. He can't believe his mother's getting getting remarried. We're missing the beat of uh, after Alexander tells a story about the bishop and gets locked up in the attic. We're missing the story of where he's haunted by the actual dead girls and they tell him the truth about the story. Which I didn't remember seeing. I remember being shocked by that in this in the the, the longer version, and that's why because I hadn't seen it before. Uh, we're also missing that great, amazing scene that I mentioned in the in the longer version earlier, where they're lying in bed and the bishop asks the Oscar to, uh, or Isaac Alexander to to wish him good night, and and Alexander won't. He says he does not wish the bishop good night, and then the bishop admits that he's scared of Alexander. And, and his feeling towards him. And so it's that's a big loss, I think, for me in this version. Um, the thing that's not clear to me is when Oscar, or when Isaac, sorry, uh, rescues the kids. It wasn't clear in the other version, but I think I forgot to mention. He's got this set of keys. I don't know where the hell he got those keys from. And it still doesn't make sense. So the kids are down in the, in the, the thing the, that he's buying, the chest. And then it cuts back up to the bishop runs upstairs because he, he accuses Isaac of stealing his kids. And the kids are lying on the floor, like passed out or dead. It's not clear, but there are in both places at once. I don't understand that. We're, the other two big scenes we're missing are uh, the, I, the Isaac's bedtime story he tells the kids, which was super long and not necessary. Uh, I think there's the, the moment with God is missing. No, it can't be. Uh... The scene that's missing, which didn't surprise me because it was so powerful when I watched the television version, is that amazing scene when Gustav and Carl come to negotiate. Uh, sorry, my phone went off. Come to negotiate with with the bishop, Edward, over uh, releasing Emily. And that scene, like I said a little bit earlier, that might have been my favorite scene in the entire thing. It's so powerful and, and such this interplay back and forth. And yeah, and I didn't remember seeing it before, so it was brand new. That is such an amazing scene. Uh, yeah, and then generally speaking, there's just a lot of trims around the ending where they just cut things off shorter. I mean, there's that throughout the entire movie, obviously. So here's the thing. I understand that they needed to make all these trims to get down to three hours. They literally had to lose half of what was there. And I can see why, from a narrative, you don't necessarily need to have those things. Uh, but that is why I will say that I highly recommend, if you want to dive into this, watch the, the-, the-, the television version. It is far superior in all the nuances and all the extra story and pieces you get from the other family. Some of the best scenes are gone. Uh, not to say that there aren't some great scenes here. There are. They're all great. 
and I wouldn't lose any of the stuff that's in this three-hour version to replace that other stuff. I understand why he was so judicious in the cuts that he made, but I will just say it 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 takes it from like if the television series is a ten out of ten for me, this is a nine and a half, and and that's only because I know that it's missing these great pieces. Uh, and maybe that's not fair to grade it on a curve like that. But uh, this is my podcast, and I get to do what I want. So yeah, it was really great to revisit both. Uh, I was really, really kind of surprised and impressed and happy with how much I preferred the television version. I honestly thought it was going to feel a bit more of a slog, and it was going to be a bit more challenging to get through. It was not. It was ridiculously entertaining. And I'm glad to know that I'm ending this uh, this series of podcasts of this Bergman cinematic collection on such a high note uh but before we sign off i am now going to check out uh the final film in this series which is also directed by bergman is the the making of fanny and alexander so stay tuned for uh for that so i am back and uh just like i thought this will be very short and sweet the making of is adorable. What's really great is watching Bergman work because he's so full of life and fun and energy. You don't think of like the somber, dark films he often makes. He's just a beautiful human being. And I can imagine that being on his set is lovely and awesome and being like part of a family. He, he creates a beautiful environment. So any aspiring filmmakers who think that it's your job as a director to go on a set and be an asshole... Watch Bergman at work and just see how much of a master that dude was and how cool he was and how nice he was to everyone, as you should be. Be a decent human being. Dictators are not... Sorry. Directors are not dictators. So, thank you so much for joining me in this... God, it's taken me a year and a half to go through this collection. I, uh, But I'm glad I savored it. I didn't just rush through it. I really enjoyed the 39 films that are in this. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of movies. Uh, but I've really enjoyed the bulk of them. And if you don't have the amount of money that to, to drop on a giant set like this, but you have like eight or nine bucks a month, you can get the Criterion channel. And a lot, if not all of these, are on there along with the special features that are on these discs. So you can do a different version of that. If you like this episode and the way I, I kind of dissected through a big box set... I've done similar things in the past. I, I did a, a couple episodes on all of the James Bond films. I'm currently going through the Godzilla films, although that might be finished up by the time this airs. So there's at least uh, a part one of a two or three part Godzilla series for the Criterion Godzilla box set. Uh, I just got the Zatochi, uh, Zatochi, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Blind Swordsman. That Criterion box set, I got that for Christmas this year. I have not cracked it open yet. That is my next big thing to tackle, so I will be getting episodes of that up at some time in the future, as well as I'm waiting for my Bruce Lee box set to come, so I will definitely be doing uh, an episode or episodes on those films as well. But thanks for joining me for Fanny and Alexander, the closing night of the Ingmar Bergman Cinema Collection. Let's all go to the lobby. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. 
You can find me on Twitter at LonJeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.